0: Let's talk about labels, not the kind that go on boxes, but the kind we use for people. I've always had a bit of an interesting relationship with labels, so today I'm going to talk about some of my labels, the arguments for and against labels, and try to figure out if we really still need them in the current year. To not keep anyone in suspense or concerned, I'll spoil now that my answer is, whatever works best for you. I won't be going terribly in depth about any labels in particular because the episode would be three hours long, but I'll be more talking about the concepts of labels in general with some examples. Everyone uses some sorts of labels in their life. Man, woman, teen, adult, black, white, athlete, gamer, etc. Labels can be used to show lots of different aspects of who we are, from salient identities like race to hobbies and interests. Some labels may be more relevant than others at different times, and some people may choose to not label at all. I'm mostly going to focus on gender, sexuality, and neurodiversity related labels for today. There's a lot of controversy over how labels in these areas should be used, and if they're even still necessary at all. Should we broaden some of these labels, restrict them further, or get rid of them altogether? With these, however, I do get the argument that forcing people to label or out themselves can be dangerous or harmful. If you don't want to or can't label yourself yet, that's totally fine. I'm more focusing on the argument that it's harmful for anyone to label themselves. Now, bear in mind that this is largely going to be based on my experiences and opinions, the discussions that I've seen happening in and about these communities, and the history that I know from my own personal research. There may be gaps in my knowledge, and you may have noticed different conversations that I have. Feel free to leave feedback in the comments section of the blog. Let's start with the arguments against sexuality and gender, because I often see the same argument for both of these, that we should be working to move away from having labels for these at all, and just let people be people. On the gender side, this usually looks like gender abolition, the erasure of the societal concept of gender as a whole, including gender roles, gendered spaces, and gender identity. I usually see this discussed in feminist spaces, with proponents seeing the erasure of gender as either the easiest, most practical, or only path to gender equality. This isn't an outlandish view considering gender has often been used as a hierarchical system, yet another excuse to divide people into classes, some of which are ruling and some of which are ruled. I've been asked, if gender abolition is the goal, then why do non-binary people need a label? Why do trans people need to be their gender? Isn't creating these categories just more divisive? First off, non-binary, while it is a label, is also sort of an anti-label. While a lot of people have come to take non-binary as a third gender, non-binary is a category for anyone who doesn't solely or entirely identify into the categories of man or woman. Some people just use non-binary, like me. Some have more specific non-binary genders, like agender or bigender. And some people don't use a label at all. For a lot of us, it's choosing to opt out of the label system entirely, except we kind of can't. That's my biggest criticism of gender abolition. It doesn't feel practical to me. Whether we like it or not, gender is deeply ingrained in our society. Gender inserts itself into places it doesn't belong, like driver's licenses and job applications. It's already a Herculean effort to get systems to add an other or an "X" option, though I believe that those options have failings in their own right, leading to outings, but systemic transphobia is a topic for another day. Getting gender out of places it doesn't belong is one thing that I and many other trans people agree with, but I don't think we can get rid of gender entirely for the foreseeable future. We have to work with what we have now to make trans people safer. And even if eliminating the concept of gender was possible, I'm not sure I'd want to. The same way that colorblindness is an inappropriate response to racism, I don't feel like gender abolition is the answer to sexism. My gender is part of who I am. I like being able to find connection and community with other people like me." The sexuality side to this particular argument can present itself as a pro-queer stance, as if every sexuality was accepted, we wouldn't need to label ourselves and come out. If you don't want to personally label yourself, that's perfectly fine, but again, I don't think a blanket colorblind take is the appropriate response. While I know the intention behind the sentiment is a good one, it reminds me a lot of the people who say, why do you need to flaunt your sexuality? If you want to be accepted, you can't keep having these big pride parades. I agree that if someone doesn't want to come out and wants to just be able to bring home a queer partner, they should be able to. But especially in the face of a world that still tells us it's wrong to exist, I think pride and labels are still very valuable. You can hear more of my thoughts about assimilation versus liberation, specifically in regards to pride, in my previous episode. With neurodiversity, ADHD, and disability in general, what should be a neutral label is seen as something harmful or shameful to people looking in from the outside. Terms like specially abled and differently abled came from a good place, a place of allies, wanting disabled people to not be seen as lesser, just different problem here is that disability isn't inherently lesser. It just is. Not saying that I'm disabled doesn't change the fact that I am. Admitting that I am disabled and working through my internalized ableism has actually been incredibly helpful in accepting my limitations and learning to work with them rather than pretending that I can do things just like everyone else. I I can't. All of these boil down to Why can't you just be like everyone else? All of these things, gender, sexuality, and neurodivergence, aren't good or bad. They're neutral parts of me. But because those identities don't line up with society's expectations or desires of what I should have or be, both well-intentioned and ill-intentioned people can view different identities as lesser. Life is generally more difficult if your identities don't line up, but... Rather than working to make society more accepting and accommodating to everyone, there are some who think that the solution is to just have the different people act like they're quote-unquote normal. Some people also feel like labels can box them in or lead people to ascribe stereotypical expectations for them. The latter goes back to what I mentioned before about different identities being lesser. They feel like these identities can't be neutral because they live in a world that refuses to treat them as such, which is fair. I can also respect that they feel that labels box them in, but I personally find them more freeing. It's easier for me to understand myself when I can put a word to something I feel or experience. Now that we've established why I think labels can be important, let's talk a bit about how labels can change and their shortcomings. Labels can be very personal things, with different people preferring different terms. You might have noticed that I use the term disabled and not person with a disability. Over the past few years, person-first language has become a popular way to discuss someone without centering a certain aspect of them. Person experiencing homelessness, person with autism, etc. However, this is another one of those things that is well-intentioned in theory but works less well in practice. Some people absolutely prefer person-first language, but the general consensus that I've seen for autism and disability in general is that identity-first language is best. You wouldn't say a person with gay, or person with woman. Person-first language gives the idea that the identity in question is inherently bad, that it should be separated from the person. It's what they have, not what they are. This doesn't mean, however, that it's appropriate to call a person a noun based on their identity, i.e. a gay or a trans. Nine times out of ten, that's just going to be seen as offensive, taking away their personhood even more than identity-first language ever could. I have no idea why there's exceptions to this like a lesbian, though, so if anyone knows the answers to that, leave me a comment. I've been told by allies that our disabilities shouldn't define us. The best response I've seen to that is a tweet by at a silent child. My disability does define me, it's just isn't the only thing that defines me. Being called a woman doesn't mean that your other identities and aspects of your life aren't relevant or don't matter, for example. It's the same thing here. My ADHD massively impacts who I am and how I interact with the world. It defines me more than almost anything, and that's okay. It isn't a bad thing, it just is. Unfortunately, ADHD doesn't have a noun form the way that autism has autistic. Some people say adhd or I'm ADHD, but even people who prefer identity first language like me generally say I have ADHD for the sake of linguistics. This is just one of the many shortcomings of the term ADHD, a term that was coined by people who aren't ADHD to describe the ways that we inconvenience them. Attention deficit and hyperactivity are inaccurate labels that contribute to the juvenile reputation of ADHD and minimize the impact it has on our lives. The most strenuous things for us are often things like executive dysfunction and emotion regulation. We may seem hyperactive, but we're often physically exhausted. We struggle not with a lack of attention, but an inability to focus it. That's why an ADHDer can get stuck on one task for hours and be unable to stick to it for another five minutes. When labels are created by those outside of a community, they're created with the biases that exist against that community. They're created to benefit the masses, not the people within the community. Labels created from the outside, however, can be reclaimed. Queer has seen massive mainstream acceptance despite its initial use as a derogative. It's often used as a catch-all to cover everyone in the LGBTQ acronym and has become its own field of interest with queer history, queer studies, queer media, etc. There are still people within the community who are uncomfortable with its use who feel that its mainstream use is inappropriate. Those numbers seem to be dwindling, however, and most people who I still see that have an issue with it are okay with people using it for themselves, just not the whole community, or used by people outside the community. I believe queer can be still used as a derogative, just as gay can be. I think intent is important for words with a complicated history. Speaking of complicated history, let's talk bisexual. Bisexual actually originally was used to describe people with both male and female sex characteristics, and is still occasionally used that way in biology. However, that's obviously not what I mean when I say I'm bisexual. Bisexual nowadays refers to attraction, and if you ask most people, they'd say it means attraction to men and women. This idea led to the popularization of the term pansexual, or attraction to all. I've often heard it described as attraction to men, women, and trans people, which is both inaccurate to pansexuality and transphobic. But Bisexuality in of itself hasn't been limited to the binary in a long time. The two in bi isn't men and women. It can be same and different. It can be homosexual attraction and heterosexual attraction. It can be attraction to two or more genders. This use has become more widespread as understanding of gender beyond a binary has as well, but these definitions aren't a historical. I was going to add a historical quote or two talking about bisexuality's non-binary history, but an author by the name of Kravitz M., a non-binary bisexual like yours truly, has already done a fantastic job compiling a list of these types of quotes. Uh, if you're listening to this, head to the website for a link. I'm not going to get into if one term is better or if they're redundant, if a label helps someone express and understand themselves, I'm rarely going to be against its use. There are lots of terms that may seem redundant or whose usage has evolved over time. The nuance between terms like transsexual and transgender, bisexual and pansexual, non-binary and genderqueer or neurodiverse and neurodivergent can be easier to decode if you live your life steeped in them. To people outside a community it can take some time to grasp these changes even if the people pioneering them have no issues with it. I remember it wasn't too long ago that it was still common to see people use transsexual instead of transgender. Now I mostly only see the likes of Buck Angel use it. Nowadays it's seen as an offensive version of transgender but once upon a time that was just the standard term. Language as a whole is constantly evolving even if there are pedantic linguists who dig their heels in and act like we still speak like we did in the Middle Ages. Labels will never be stagnant, but the history of where they started and how they've been used still matters. There are people who insist that there is an epidemic of queer, trans, autistic, etc. kids like there never was before, and that this must therefore be the result of demonic indoctrination. In reality, it's... Going to seem like a group's population is increasing when the members of the group can actually label themselves and feel safe to do so. None of these are new phenomenons, but the internet age has been a catalyst for youth self discovery. A non binary kid in the 1980s might never have known that they were non binary because they didn't know the term. They just felt off. Now a non binary kid might learn the term from Sam Smith or Tumblr or someone else at school. It's a ripple effect, and part of why activists like Harvey Milk championed coming out. Being visibly labeled makes it easier for others to see themselves. Plus, when the quote-unquote normal people see how many quote-unquote not normal people there are, it becomes harder to ignore us, which has both upsides and downsides. I personally think that if you can and want to be out, fantastic, but no one should force you to before your time. I've never felt like labels box ban. I sometimes feel like other people's preconceptions of what those labels mean can box me in, but the labels themselves help me understand myself better. I know that this was a very cursory view of what labels are and what they can mean for people, and maybe sometime in the future I'll go into a deeper dive about the history of some of the specific terms. But I'd like to thank y'all for listening, I know it's been a while since my last episode, Uh, My mental health kind of took a nosedive this summer, and I felt like it would be hypocritical to push myself and harm my mental health to do a mental health podcast. Uh, But if you would like to support the podcast, I have a Ko-fi and a Patreon. Uh, If I have patrons, it'll be easier for me to actually get monthly episodes out because I will feel like I have a deadline, Um, but no matter what. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see y'all next time.